when you're ready to start, then we can clap and then we can start. Wait, so when do we clap? Like now? Yeah, if you want. Okay, you, you do it. I don't want. All right, three, two, one, clap, okay? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Those were the instructions, <laughs> but. Okay, three, two, one, Are you wearing your indoor Crocs or your outdoor Crocs? Welcome back, it's Kathy, and today I'd like to introduce my pen pal, who I met at a summer camp in China when we were 16. Richard, welcome to Indoor Crocs. Hi, pleasure to be here. I'm Kathy's one American friend, and like she said, yeah, we met at a summer camp a long time ago because we're both Chinese and we both happened to attend it. Right now, I'm currently in the Bay Area in California in the US, and I'm working as a software engineer at Google. That's really exciting. So you told me earlier that today is Labor Day in America and you're in Seattle, what, backpacking? Yeah, so right now it's a long weekend. I flew with my friends to Seattle to go backpacking. We just came back from a trip. It was probably a 13 mile hike and we camped at the top of a mountain. And uh, it was my first time backpacking, pretty fun. We made food, we walked a lot, we like filtered water, so we drink water from this really big lake. Very eventful. So should we start with how we met? Yeah, sure. That was my one and only summer camp in China, but you've been on what seems like loads. How was the camp that we met on different to your other camp experiences? Yeah, so I've been to a couple of different summer camps in China. And for context, these are government-sponsored summer camps where they bring usually students high school and under, and usually of Chinese ethnicity, but who are not born in China. So it could be American-born Chinese, it could be, you know, the UK-born Chinese, even Canadian-born. But they bring together a bunch of people from a lot of different countries, and they put them in one summer camp, and you're kind of immersed into Chinese culture. So it was just basically two or three weeks of Chinese immersion. They all kind of blend together, but I remember that summer we were in Xi'an. So we got to go to a bunch of different Xi'an landmarks. So for example, the Terracotta Warriors. Yeah, we have a selfie. We do. Yeah, our summer camp, it was interesting because we were put in this college dorm campus. So we got to live like a student. In terms of answering your question though, any differences between that and other summer camps? I think there are two main summer camps in China. There's the one we went to, it's called Embrace China. Embrace Qian. Qian. They spelled it wrong. That became such a funny joke. <laughs> and then there's one other summer camp where it's like the yellow dragon shirt people. I think it's called It's like a different summer camp. But the one we went to is more academic focused. So we had actual like Chinese classes, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I feel like we had like singing classes as well. Yeah, we took just a bunch of classes in general. So it was very formal and academic. We learned a lot in general, and we went to a lot of historical sites and learned about the history of China. Whereas in other summer camps, I think it was a little bit more like an actual summer camp where it was just fun. There's a lot of games and activities. They take us to like a water resort, just like a vacation. But this one was more about learning. Oh, I see. Which one did you prefer then? I liked both because when you live like a student and you learn the language, it feels like I'm getting more out of it in terms of like educational value. I think growing up, I've always wanted to become more fluent in Chinese and also just be more aware of like traditions and customs and history. So I like that part. 
but I would say the vacation oriented summer camps were more fun in like an entertainment perspective. It was just fun to hang out with friends because they put us in a really nice hotel. They take us to all these fun places. So it was a lot more well-funded, the other ones, compared to ours. But I got more out of ours because it was just a learning experience. Yeah, speaking of growing up, so I've talked on the podcast a bit about my experiences growing up in the UK. What about your experience? I think my experience growing up in America was pretty normal. So I grew up in LA, California, and I was a pretty normal kid. Biggest lie ever told. <laughs> well, I think I'm pretty normal. But I grew up in a very Asian-centric community, so most of the kids I was around were Asian. I would say probably 60%, 70%. Mostly people in my neighborhood were Chinese or Korean. And growing up, I guess, I liked doing a lot of sports. So I played tennis, just a little bit of everything. I swam and I had certain interests. Like I like playing chess, fond memories of my childhood. So middle school and you skipping high school. Can you explain what you were thinking at the time, if you remember? As in, obviously that's a massive decision. What was the early entrance program? I don't feel like we really have that in the UK. People don't really skip grades. Is that a common thing in the US? I don't think so, no. And I don't even know if I'd classify under skipping grades the early entrance program. Essentially what it is, is you can drop out from wherever you are, whether it's middle school or high school, and you can go straight to college. Typically the age range, I think actually they enforce it, it's 11 to 15. So you have to be within that age range and you have to meet a few different requirements to get into the program. But the program is just a catalyst. So for you to drop out from wherever you are, go to college early and start your career early as well. In I think seventh grade, after we finished up the year, I had a friend who went through that program. So he just kind of disappeared. And a year later, he kind of reached out to me. He was like one of my good friends too. But he texted me and he was like, hey, I went to college. Do you want to look into the program I applied to and consider it as well? So I thought it was intriguing. I told my parents about it. And then I ended up applying to it the next year. So after eighth grade, that's the final year of middle school, by the way. And that marks the transition, at least in America, between middle school and high school. So I applied for the program. I had to take the SAT and ACT one of them, to get some letters of recommendation, write a few essays, go through an interview, and then submit my middle school transcripts. And based on that kind of application, they'll make a holistic decision whether to accept you or not, or whether you're interesting enough to invite to their summer boot camp thing. So after I passed the initial application, you have to go through six weeks of college courses and they essentially make you take humanities, biology, and some sort of like math course. After those six weeks, you get a grade in each course. They also kind of observe your social skills as well, because I guess you have to be a little bit mature in order to be able to go to college early and start your career. Otherwise, you'd be really lost in the world because everything's so accelerated. So based on your initial application, your grades during that summer, and your overall fit for the program, they will rank you from one to however many students were accepted into that summer camp. For me, it was 51, and they ended up taking 24 people. Yeah, that was that. So I got into the program. At the time, I was in ninth grade when I heard back my decision. So I just started high school. It was a month in, and then they told me I got in, so I dropped out of high school. So technically, I'm a high school dropout. <laughs> but then I went to college, so... <laughs> 
so when your friend told you about this decision that they'd made and you were like interested did you have any doubts about joining yeah of course one thing that i was really hesitant about was leaving my social life behind so i had a lot of friends in middle school and we were all going to the same high school so i wanted to like experience high school with them rites of passage for example going to prom or like just like dating in general joining a bunch of different clubs there's so many fun things to do in high school i knew i'd be missing out on that so that was a big decision point whether or not i should maintain my social life or you know take that leap of faith and explore a new one academically though i think i was totally prepared i wasn't worried about the transition academically it was more so the social aspect and i would say i was about 50-50 i could have gone either way I asked my parents as well, but they were also pretty indifferent. I think they encouraged me to go to the program, but they also didn't mind if I just stayed the normal tradition route. But overall, it came down to me and I thought, well, this is like an opportunity to drastically change my life. And in general, when you have a decision to do that, you should go for it. Unless it's like heroin or cocaine, but you know, you should like <laughs> You know what I mean? Wow, so your parents basically trusted you to make that decision when you were what 14? Yeah, I was 14 when I went to college. Wow, so it sounds like they gave you a lot of autonomy then. Yeah, I would say so. I think that, you know, maybe growing up when I was in elementary or middle school, they were a little bit stricter like they or they wanted me to like pursue a lot of extracurriculars like piano and violin. <laughs> Tell me about it. Yeah, I know. I think it's all of us, right? <laughs> But uh growing up at the, at that point, they were really hands-off. So they were kind of like They gave me a lot of freedom to explore my own career choices. That's how it kind of manifested itself. I just ended up going to this program and they're cool with whatever path I chose. So, have you ever struggled with academics or has it just come naturally to you? I mean, there are harder courses I've taken where I've struggled. It's not like I've gone straight A's my whole life, but I would say that academics has never been too difficult for me. I wouldn't say I'm unnaturally gifted or anything like that. I think I'm a pretty normal kid, but I guess like up until middle school, like my grades are pretty solid. I did have straight A's. College is when like I started to struggle a little bit more because I think it's the fact that there's more time management in college. So you can have like maybe you take an English course and you'll only have like a couple assignments, but each assignment is worth like 20% of your grade. Maybe you have to write five essays. So Time management was a big factor like where I started to struggle a bit more because in college all of your assignments are spaced out more maybe in high school or middle school you have daily assignments and that's very manageable for me but as soon as you have a big one that's due in like 4 weeks I start to worry because I'm not that great with time management but overall I came out unscathed I think my college GPA was like a 3.96 so I think it's pretty good I ended up transferring by the way to a different university and then my university grades tanked a little bit but you know that's how it is no i remember you saying cuz when i first met you you were still living at home right and then you moved to new york yeah that's right i said i grew up in la and i went to the early entrance program in la by the way so la had one of the few schools that had this early entrance program it was called cal state la and it was just a public university in the cal state system of schools we have a bunch of different cal states Um, but this is the only one in the US that has that early entrance program. So I got lucky with that. I went there for three years, and eventually I transferred out. So I could have graduated in four years, but I decided I wanted to go to a different university, and I decided to apply to a few. One of the universities I got into was NYU, 
And so I ended up transferring there and then finishing my remaining two years at NYU. So in total, I had five years of college. I guess the big question was, how did you deal with being younger than your peers? Like, did that make you mature faster? Do you think age is just a number? I think maybe initially when you start college early and you're in your classes, you do notice that people are older than you, but you're all at the same academic level. Like, maybe you've taken a class or two in high school, but you always kind of start off on square one. So academically, I felt pretty on par with my peers. I think the social aspect, it depends on how mature you are and how open-minded you are. Some people in my program were very adamant about staying within their age range, so most of the friends that they had were in the program. But as you might guess, like the program is relatively small. Every year they accept maybe 25 people, and so in total over the four years or five years, depending on how long you graduate, there's roughly around like 100 to 125 people in the program at a given time. You can either make friends within your age group within the program, although it's really limited, or you can kind of branch out and start making friends with other college students. And I kind of took the latter approach. So I wanted to kind of blend in, make friends within my major, which was computer science. And by the way, most of the people who go into the program are pre-med because the main advantage of going into this program is you save a ton of time. So you don't have to wait four years in high school. You can start undergrad, med school, residency, and save time. I would say that initially, I didn't have too many friends in the program just because I was in a different major and most people were pre-med. So I kind of found my own friend group within my computer science courses. But overall, it wasn't too hard. I mean, maybe initially, like it took a while for me to find a friend group, but I got there at some point and, you know, had a good time. Like I would say my friend group was like, I hung out with this one 25 year old, this one 23 year old and then another guy who's actually 30 so age kind of like doesn't really play a huge role at least in the friendships that i made oh well even in computer science so uh, people of all different ages yeah mm-hmm. but it might be unique to my university i know a lot of traditional universities people kind of stick within the age ranges of 18 to 22 In my university, it's like a public school, and then also it's the kind of university where a lot of people come back later on in their career to pursue a different major or pivot into a different career path. So the age range varies a lot more at the Cal States, I'd say, than at like a private university like NYU. Yeah, so what is the difference between a public and a private university then? We don't have that here. Oh, really? Is everything public for you? Well, for secondary school, so you're middle school and high school we have state schools which I'm assuming are public and private schools which fee paying but for universities that will fee pay there's no free university well public university isn't free actually you still have to pay a fee but in general public universities are a lot cheaper than private I think that's the main difference like public universities are government funded they're cheaper in tuition especially if you're in state and they're usually bigger than most private universities. So for example, UCLA is a really big university compared to some sort of university like Cornell, right? Cornell, although it's a relatively bigger Ivy League university, it just doesn't match the numbers that UCLA puts up. So public university is a lot bigger, cheaper, more affordable. Do you get like a student loan? I didn't need to. My university was really, really cheap at Cal State LA, but you can. Yeah, no, that's different from here because yeah, our unis are well, at the moment, £9,250, and most people get student loan. In the U.S., we have a lot of freedom in choosing. Like, we can apply to 50 universities, you can apply to 10. I think in the U.K., you can only apply to a certain amount. Yeah, 
I think it's five. I don't even remember. So there's like a limit and that is not a thing we have in the US. You can apply to as many as you want. Wow, so that's literally like applying for a job then. <laughs> yeah, I think the strategy is to apply to as many as you can, but try to maintain the quality of each application. So for me, actually when I was transferring universities, I tried to transfer out twice, once after my sophomore year, once after my junior year. And the sophomore year, I applied to too many universities and that's kind of why I, I think I didn't get into any. I just couldn't invest enough time into each individual application. But I think I applied to like 22. And then the second year, I applied to seven. You can imagine like the funnel is quite steep because I kind of realized like, well, I just don't have enough time to invest into each application. So I picked the top seven schools that I was really interested in or had a decent chance of getting into. Uh, NYU is one of them. And yeah, I just poured my heart into every application. Is sophomore year second year and junior third year? Yeah, the terminology is a little different. So second year, I applied after that and then third year. I remember when you were studying at New York, you did a semester abroad in Shanghai. I'm jealous because I wanted to do that or a year abroad, but COVID and then I switched unis. So how was studying abroad? Yeah, so actually one of the reasons I transferred to NYU was so I could study abroad. So I thought about this way back Definitely big brain did. Studying abroad was definitely the highlight of my college career. I think if you ever have the opportunity to study abroad, you should go for it. It's one of the few opportunities you have in life where everything's kind of arranged for you. Your living plans, your academic life, your social life, because there's usually a big group of people who come with you. Either that or you'll meet people at the university who come from all walks of life. Yeah, studying abroad was one of the highlights of my time in college. I had a lot of fun. I made a lot of really close friends there. Like you said, I went to Shanghai to study abroad, and it was a very different experience than studying in New York and NYU, mainly because, well, there's different language, obviously, and then the kind of people you meet are very diverse. So half the school was mainland Chinese people, and the other half were study abroad people like me who came from different universities. So I got to meet a lot of interesting people and overall, it was just a really fun time because I studied abroad in my senior year, which is approaching the end of my college life cycle. And I specifically took all the hard courses, got them out of the way so that when I studied abroad, I could take more fun and interesting ones. So when I was in Shanghai, I took Chinese calligraphy. Like you couldn't find that anywhere else. So I learned about all these different techniques, all these different styles of calligraphy. I made a bunch of art, and I'm not an art student, by the way. I've never taken an art class before, but this was such a unique opportunity, so I took it. I also took ethnic Mongolian and Korean folk dance. What is that? So I didn't even know at the time, but it just sounded so interesting, so I just signed up for it. You learn like a certain dance style that is used in Mongolia and Korea. So we learned all this choreography for an entire semester. We had a big performance at the end. You had to dress up and like like cultural attire um, and that was such a fun course. I've never taken a dance course before. Very eye-opening experience. And then I also took Chinese of course because I was in China so I got to learn the language. We had to write you know essays in Chinese and we had to like give speeches. My Chinese isn't that great but I've always wanted to improve so this is the perfect opportunity. So overall fun time. <laughs> I remember on camp as well do you still write in traditional or do you write simplified? Oh, that was a turning point for me. So growing up, I learned traditional because I'm Taiwanese. But when I went to China, you're expected to learn simplified. So I learned simplified there. 
So now I'm more comfortable with Simplify for sure. You too. I can't write traditional. I only know Simplified because my parents are from mainland China. Yeah, that makes sense. Let's move on to your career journey. So you said that you're a software engineer at Google and you used to work at Roblox. How was that transition? Yeah, I worked at Roblox for a year as a software engineer. At some point, a few recruiters reached out to me, including one from Google. So I decided to keep my options open and take that leap of faith. I pretty much just interviewed around the one year mark when I was at Roblox and I got a few offers. Um, one of them was from Google and Google is always a company I've been wanting to work for because I use their products every day and they seem to have good work-life balance. Overall, the people around you are really smart and fun and ambitious, so I think that energy kind of pulled me in. Transition was interesting. I think at Roblox, it's a much smaller company. It's a gaming company, by the way. And so the products you work on are very different, but also sheer size. Like, I think at the time I joined Roblox, there were about 1,200 people at the company compared to, I think at Google, there's like 150,000 or 175,000. At Roblox, it's a lot more hacky, so you have a lot more autonomy. When you have a project, you can write up something really quick. There's not a lot of formality or red tape. You can start coding relatively quickly within a week or two after you kind of write some docs. But at Google, stuff takes time. If you want to like build a new feature, you have to go through so many reviews. Product review, technical design review. You have to write a bunch of docs in general. So there's a lot more red tape. But overall, the people are relatively similar. Like I think. Roblox and Google both have very similar people. Everyone's very knowledgeable and passionate about what they do. So overall, transition was pretty simple and smooth. Nice. And extending that from university to work, did you find that, I guess, a natural progression? Do you ever miss university? I do miss university for sure. It's easier to make friends. And not that I don't have friends in the Bay, but it's a lot easier to just naturally come up in university. There's so many events that are catered to your social life and you live in a dorm usually or an apartment with friends. So you're always around people your age and everyone's similar age, by the way. So, you know, making friends, even dating is so much easier in university than in the real life. And what are your hopes for the future? Do you ever get imposter syndrome? Honestly, I think a lot of people in tech do. I wouldn't say that I personally have that. And it's not to say that I'm like confident in every aspect of my career. Maybe the way it manifests itself for me is like sometimes I do compare myself to my teammates who have a little bit more work experience and I'm just like, wow, they're so much more knowledgeable than I am or they're so much quicker at producing code. So I do acknowledge certain areas where they're, you know, a little bit quicker than I am. But I also see it as an opportunity to just like hone my technical skills, to learn from them soaking as much information I can during my formative years as a software engineer. So I wouldn't say it's gone into my head where I'm just like really, really anxious or unconfident in my abilities, but it is a real thing and people compare themselves a lot. So far, I've been relatively good about that though. Right now, I'm just focused on becoming a good software engineer, so learning as much as I can. I guess the most immediate thing I'm trying to go for is promotion. So I'm a junior engineer at Google, but you can go up the ladder as you have more impact. I'm trying to write more docs, produce more code, and just become more influential, get more ownership in the code base that I'm familiar with. Let's move on to hobbies. So you mentioned you used to play chess as a child. Yeah, because I also played chess competitively but that was just in primary school like I think my chess career was from like the ages of seven to ten let's say but yeah I know that you're really good at chess and how's that gone? 
Yeah, it's actually the first time we hung out or something, right? I think I saw that in the summer camp, you had a chessboard, and then I like challenged you because I thought, whoa, another person like me. I was not like you. <laughs> I mean, I, I think the passion was there for sure. Yeah, um, my roots into chess. I started playing around when I was 10 years old, and this was when I was traveling around Taiwan with my family. I was living at my aunt's place with my mom and my brother, but there wasn't any Wi-Fi for some reason. So I was just playing around with the computer and I found this chess application and I opened it and I started to learn a little bit. So I played against the computer a few times. I just learned the rules. At some point that developed into a more serious hobby because when I got back to the States, my mom thought it'd be a good idea to sign me up for chess lessons. So I got a coach and then I started playing competitively. So that ended up turning into like a six-year chess career. I played in many tournaments. I think early on, I got lucky. So in chess, when you play competitively, there's like a rating threshold. And so as you go up that rating ladder, you start to play stronger opponents. And each game determines whether your rating goes down or up or stays the same. So early on in my career, I hit a thousand, which is like, I guess a good milestone. Like if I hear that someone's a thousand, I start to know that, oh, they've played competitively. They're relatively new to the game, but they're pretty good. At some point, I also crossed the 1500 threshold, and this is all within the first year. So I think within that first year, I thought, whoa, maybe this is like something I'm pretty good at. And I started becoming more serious about it. I think right now my rating is around 2050, which is respectable, but there's still a way to go. I haven't played competitively in a while. Would you return? I've been thinking about it. The only problem is like chess, it's a really fun sport, but each game is so long. <laughs> so one thing you'll notice if you play for a long time is games get longer and longer and longer as you go up the rating ladder as well. So one game can last six hours, especially in the big tournaments. So it's just a really big time commitment. If I were to play right now, I'd have to sacrifice like a whole weekend to go play in a big tournament where I could have a reasonable chance of increasing my rating. You could play in like a local club, but usually the games are really sparse, very few in, in between. Maybe you'll play one or two games a week. So I think I'll get back into it at some point, but right now I'm just so swamped with work and traveling with friends. So it'll be a little bit before I get back into it, but yeah, I'm excited. I've always had this goal of hitting 2200, which I'm not far away from. That's like the threshold where you get master title. So in the US, it's called being a national master. And that's always been a lifelong goal for me. <laughs> So moving on to your other exploits, you have a YouTube channel and you previously co-hosted a podcast, which I featured on and I guess inspired mine as well. What made you want to be a content creator? I'm really happy that you're pursuing content creation, first of all. I think it's like a good hobby for you to develop yourself personally because you learn so many different skills, especially when you're hosting a podcast like communication, editing, reaching out to people in general. A lot of my hobbies have revolved around it. I think my first hobby that kind of falls into that category is writing. I used to write a little bit. I was really passionate about Quora, so consuming content on Quora and also writing content. It's just this Q&A website where you can like answer questions. I found a few writers that I really liked and I followed them and I'd read their writing religiously. I'd open the app. It basically became my new form of social media. So at the time, I think Facebook and Instagram were popular, but I didn't care about those. I was just like, Quora. I read so much Quora, I wrote a little bit. At some point, I branched out from writing into making videos as well. I think this was maybe in the middle of my college years. 
So I was a computer science student and I really liked watching tech YouTubers. So people who made day in the life videos or just educational videos about how to get an internship. So I was really passionate about that. And I decided to make my own channel where I would vlog my day in the life. So did that for a couple years. I made a day in the life about as a computer science student. Also, I ended up interning at JP Morgan for a little bit. So YouTube was a really fun thing. I just vlogged a lot of my adventures. At some point, I stopped doing that, maybe around the time of COVID, um, just because, you know, there wasn't much to do in my daily life. Um, and then I started a podcast because what else would you do during your time in COVID <laughs> uh, besides, like, you know, just jumping on a call with friends and hanging up? I had an idea of creating a podcast because at the time, I was walking my dog every day and there wasn't much to do. But I would listen to a bunch of podcasts, so mostly about like growing up as an adult. Like once you're out of college, there are so many options ahead of you. So I wanted to learn more about like what it was like finding an apartment, living in the Bay Area or New York or another big city, dating as well. So I just wanted to learn as much as I can about being a young adult. And that's what got me into podcasts. So I ended up starting one. So I pitched the idea to my friend about bringing on our friends or just random guests and sharing their grand stories and projects with the world. And that ended up becoming a 20 episode journey. We invited 20 different guests, including you, Kathy, um, because you have a really interesting life. No, it's just because I was the one British girl. <laughs> okay, but this is the reason why you brought me on to your thing as well, right? Because we have very different perspectives on life. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I think our culture is very different and there's so many fun things to explore. To me, it seems like whatever you do, you do really well. What is something that you'd consider yourself average at? That's definitely not true. I mean, there are things that I'm pretty horrid at. One of them is like dancing. I'm so bad. Uh, when I was in New York for college, there was one summer where I took dance classes at the studio. Um, it was like a hip hop dance studio. And I bought like a one month pass so I could come in like pretty much every day and just take a choreo course. So did that for a month. I remember I went with a friend a couple times and we went back to the apartment and we were trying to like redo the choreo and record ourselves because I don't know, I guess we didn't want to do that in class. I guess we're self-conscious. But we went back to the apartment, recorded ourselves, and I looked at the footage and I was like, oh my, I'm so bad at dancing. So I'm not very natural when it comes to that. Another thing is like running, actually. I know from maybe your perspective, maybe I'm a little bit faster, but running, I don't think I'm very good at. And that's the reason I wanted to get into it. When I first started running, well, I definitely couldn't run a mile straight without stopping. And I would just be so tired. And like, maybe that's normal for the average person. Like, you know, we're not able to run a mile, but I thought that was just such a sad thing. And I was like, Mike, Richard, you got to start running more. <laughs> So, and I also had a friend, like, by the way, when I started running, I had a friend who told me, I, it was, we were just talking about our hobbies, and she told me that she ran four miles every day. And I was like, what the hell? Like, how is that even possible? Um, aren't your legs sore every day? Like, do you actually run nonstop? Or do you actually like, like, what is going on? And turns out you just like develop that stamina over time. And so I was just so enamored by that. And I was like, well, maybe I should work on something I'm not naturally talented at and, you know, work my way up. So running became an outlet for that. Um, so 
Yeah, I first started off running like maybe a mile, then it became two miles and then three. At some point, I started running a little bit more, like four miles and five miles. And then I also remember a couple of longer runs where I've run like seven miles. And then there's one run where I ran 10 miles. So I've kind of like worked my way up, um, built some stamina and um, yeah, I ended up running a half marathon. It's not a time I'm super proud of, but I think running has been a very humbling journey. Like I've only run for like two and a half or three months, but um, yeah, it's a fun skill to work on. And that's something I'm not naturally talented at. Yeah, running, I think some days I just wouldn't have motivation. Like I could only run and not stop if someone was running with me. Like I just didn't enjoy it. I don't know, now I just don't push myself like that though. I'm kind of just like, it's just for exercise. And then if I want to go run, I'll go run. Usually I'm just like, if I haven't done something in a while, I'll just naturally want to do it instead of it's like a chore or something. Okay, nowadays I don't run. Like you were saying a month, yeah, yeah, I mean, probably two months. Um. <laughs> well, is your motivation for running like just being healthy and exercising? Or do you actually enjoy the process? Well, the thing is, I always feel good after a run. I think that's a big motivator and also yeah staying healthy because I don't know about where you are but like here there's such a gym culture I don't know if it's because we're students but like I've never been to the gym and I don't plan on it so I've just never understood the point of paying for exercise I don't know <laughs> so, I was just like what can I do for free that you know I don't want to be super unhealthy you know eating takeout and stuff so run but I'm also looking to join a new team sport because I've played badminton for like over 10 years I'm not really that good at it anyway so I just wanted to try something new since it's you know my last year of uni any suggestions well I think you're fine at badminton I think you should continue with it to be honest but um... it's probably the only thing I could beat you at this bureau oh definitely you could definitely beat me at that that's another thing I'm terrible at any suggestions I think you should try golfing it's an interesting sport I just feel like golfing is really hard it is but I think that's why you might like it. I think the better you get at golf, the more fun it is. I feel like that's with most things. Yeah, but like golf is a little bit different than most sports, I'd say. For example, I think with soccer or basketball or even badminton, like it's a relatively straightforward game and you can pick it up pretty quickly. Even if you don't play badminton, like you can at least hold a little rally here and there. But I think with golf, it takes years and years and years to get good so in that respect it's very discouraging but it's just something that you can work on for a really long time and notice improvements on I think it's actually the most difficult sport in my opinion it's all technique there's not even a lot of like physicality to it because you can hit a golf ball really far without swinging very hard but you just get really humbled by the sport maybe that's what I'm trying to say well, maybe I'll maybe I'll give it a go. Yeah, but I say that, and I haven't touched a golf club in like seven months. So <laughs> I think it's worth trying out, though. You know, you might enjoy it. Dating. The last time we broached this topic, I feel like you were trying to help me set up like a Tinder account or something. Or was it a Hinge account? I don't remember which one. I don't know, you were like picking the photos for me. That's all I remember. I feel like I was complaining to you and I was saying how 
Some of my friends were just like, you know what? It happens when you least expect it. You shouldn't force anything. And you were like the complete opposite saying that you have to put yourself out there. And I mean, has your stance changed? Like, what's your dating life like? I have no idea. So I live in the Bay. Uh, there's a lot of guys in the Bay. <laughs> so, okay. By the way, I haven't ever been in a relationship. And living in the Bay doesn't help that much because I think the gender ratio is relatively skewed towards the guys, especially when you work in tech. But in terms of my dating life, so I moved to the Bay about a year and a half ago. And yeah, like you said, I, I'm kind of more of the philosophy where I think you have to be more proactive with your dating life. But then again, I think for a lot of other people, the puzzle pieces kind of naturally fall into place. Yeah, so I think last time we talked, we were talking about dating apps, right? And I've had a few dating apps. The one I use most is Hinge. I wouldn't say I've been the most active on it, but I have gone on a few dates in the Bay. Overall, dating is kind of hard in the Bay, I'd say, because like I mentioned, the gender ratio thing, but also, well, I haven't gone on too many dates. I've gone on maybe like four or no, five, five-ish in the past year. That's five more than me. <laughs> okay, but I think they're, okay, in a way, like, I understand why some people don't like dating apps, though, because it is a bit superficial, and it's not as organic as, like, you know, a genuine interaction. Yeah, dating in the Bay has been interesting. None of them have taken off, but I did go on a few, like, decent slash good dates. I just think the timing wasn't right. I'm a little bit more serious about it now. Not that I've been active, but I'm approaching it more with the mindset where like, I should be a little bit more serious about it on Hinge. It's funny because you have like a quota each day, so you can like eight people or something. So I feel like I should be more proactive about that. But in general, I'm starting to look more into it and think about like, okay, maybe I should take my dating life a little bit more seriously. I just find it so ironic that you're in dating apps and you work in tech. <laughs> <laughs> Why well, tech people can't go on dating apps? No, it just makes perfect sense. Oh, oh, because dating apps are a digital way. That is funny too. No, but it's very normalized. A lot of my friends who've met each other are through dating apps. Same. Mostly through Hinge, actually. It's more mean Tinder, as in my friends, which kind of surprised me because I don't actually know of any Hinge relationships, even though you'd think Hinge would be better at that and Tinder for hookups. I don't know. Right. I think Hinge is a little bit more uh, serious, but I mean you can look for something more casual on it. There is like an option in the field where it's like, what are you looking for? But yeah, I'm surprised that your friends have met through Tinder and have an actual relationship. Yeah, me too. But to be honest, I think a lot of it was during COVID for like when it's peak effectiveness. Yeah. Yeah, dating's interesting. How's your dating life? I don't have a dating life. <laughs> <laughs> I remember because like when I helped you set up that Inge profile or Tinder, forget which one you're very skeptical and you're like but why yeah i'm way too cynical for dating apps is it because it feels inorganic yeah it just feels really awkward and i just can't make myself take it seriously i guess i'm actually also curious like would you rather be friends with someone first before you explore the possibility of dating them you know a few years ago i would have been like absolutely not but now like a hundred percent really i don't know because it's just like if you don't I don't know, I feel like I'm just repeating verbatim what my friends have been telling me, but it's like, if you don't like someone as a person, how can you be in a relationship with them? Like, if they're not your best friend, how can you be with them for the rest of your life, for example? 
I think it is a very natural progression to go from being friends and then getting into a relationship that way. I think it's much easier than the opposite. So having the attention to date and then becoming friends or like being friends of exes. We can't relate to this though, so... <laughs> <laughs> no, I see what you're saying. I also like the idea of being friends first before getting into a relationship. But I feel like the opportunities for that are quite limited. Like, if I count the number of female friends I have in the Bay, I mean, I'm sure there's a decent amount, but the ones who I'm, like, pretty close friends with. So there's a funnel, maybe probably, like, three or four. And then within that, you have to like one of them. So, like, that goes down. The numbers game isn't that great. Whereas if you are on a dating app, that funnel becomes a lot wider. But I think some people are of the philosophy, like, even if you don't know the person, and you're not friends at the moment, you can develop it in tandem or in parallel with a friendship. So maybe the idea that you have to be friends in order to be romantically attracted, that still holds, but it's just in a different order. Yeah, there's no one-size-fits-all. I think it's all situational and circumstantial. You've also mentioned switch majors, and because of that, you are a little older than people in your class, right? And that is a factor. Yeah, true, but the thing is, I mean, you were saying how, what, like, demographically, you're not around a lot of girls. For me, it's like, I choose to be around a lot of girls. I'm not friends with many guys, and it's never really been an issue for me, maybe, apart from the dating aspect. I don't really know. I like to think I don't have an issue with dating a younger guy anymore, but most of them are just immature. Everyone knows that guys mature slower than girls. So logistically, if I'm going to date a younger guy, they're going to be immature. And from my experience anyway, I mean, I can tolerate being friends with an immature guy, but I just, I couldn't date them. Like, I'm not going to be your mom. Like, no. I think it's hard because, well, neither of us have been in a relationship, so there's not a lot of context to kind of make that decision on. That's like kind of saying like, I don't know what I'm looking for in a job if I've never worked, right? You kind of have to get into one before you know what you want. Which is kind of what I think I'm like a big advocate of, like, even if you don't necessarily have the intention of, like, marrying them, I think it is good to have dating experience, figure out what characteristics you value and what you're compatible with. And so you go through a few dates or relationships before you find the one. I get that, and... I have, my friends have told me the same they're just like you should just start dating but I don't know why I just feel like it's a big waste of time oh me too yeah I know what you're saying I'm the kind of person who gets attached quite easily so it would just hurt like if you're gonna invest yourself in someone then it might as well be the right person right yeah but that's just not how life works yeah it's a very non-linear path and a lot of it is up to luck but you can change that <laughs> okay sure no 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 but well, I think it's actually a good thing that you're still in college then because college is the perfect place to find your SO, in my opinion. There's no other opportunity in life where you're surrounded by so many people around your age. Similar career-minded or career-oriented people. People with similar backgrounds in general. Like, even economic status are relatively similar. And so that tends to have a lot of overlap with your life. And so college is like a great time to date around and find someone who's compatible with you. When you're working, that age gap widens a lot and then people are also busy with work. And so it's a lot harder, but it's still definitely possible for sure. So there's no rush. 
it's just like an observation I've had. It's the same thing with friends too. Like it's not just dating. Yeah. No, I've realized that I, in a way, I cling on to my friends, and so I don't know if that's because I'm not so great at making new friends. Okay, that was a bit too deep. <laughs> nah, nah, nah. Nah, I think you're a really friendly and bubbly person. Do you want to be in a relationship at the moment? No. No? And why not? Because I have way more pressing problems, like graduating with a decent grade and getting a job, not being unemployed, and you know, just other things. <laughs> I mean, maybe it does sound like excuses. I probably won't ever feel like I'm ready to date, but like, it's just not a priority right now. I think my main goal right now is to be financially stable. And so I think once I'm there, okay, I don't actually know, but maybe I'll be more willing to take risks, you know? Because I think dating is a risk. Mm, that's a good way to put it. It is very risky. <laughs> I would say, yeah, there's a lot of variables going on in your life, especially as a senior in college. So dating is definitely trickier at that point in life. Also, like, what if you start dating someone and they end up going somewhere else or living somewhere else, you know? Exactly. Like, I refuse to be in a long distance relationship. You know, I have a lot of I know, standards or requirements and maybe as I get older, you know, I'll have less, but I don't know. When are we going to see each other again? Because we've only met each other once. Well, I mean, for that two weeks. Yeah, yeah, I know what you're saying. We've only met each other in one period of time. You know what? I think because you have a job and earn money, I think you should visit the UK. <laughs> That's a good point. Because I am a broke university student. Yeah, but you also have summer coming up and that senior trip would make a real good opportunity to come to the US. How much does it cost to fly all the way to the US? I don't know. I'd never travel to Europe. That's a lie. Okay, well, I've been there, but I've never booked a trip myself. Where's in the middle then? We should find a country in the middle. A country? <laughs> I mean, there's no country in the middle, I'd say, right? It's just the ocean. I'd be down to travel to Europe, though, at some point, for sure. Europe! Okay, I could do that. That's much more affordable. My Korea and Thailand trip next week is gonna screw over all of my vacation days. I'm basically depleted. How does your holiday work? What is your yearly period or whatever? We get 20 days a year. Pay time off. 20 days? I think we get five weeks? Wow, that's great. Okay, so you have more days off. <laughs> you have the whole one-sixth of the year off. <laughs> Yeah, I'm down to travel to Europe or UK in general. Um, I'd have to find some time, but yeah, I'd love to visit you and reconnect. You know what's funny? Like I've been thinking about this because my friends like talk about this all the time. But like, what makes a good friend? And normally my go-to answer is quality time or just in real life time. But recently I've been thinking like some of my friendships. Like I feel relatively close to you, Gabby, even though we've never met besides that one time. And I have other friends who are like that. I've met a friend in New York and I met with her twice when I visited like a month ago. That was the second time. But I've come to realize that like friendships, you don't necessarily need to be geographically close. You don't need to spend a lot of time in real life. IRL. What do you think it is then if it's not quality time? Well, I think we have to be non-judgmental about each other. It's easier to open up about things, just being honest and transparent. I think the conversation has to flow. It's just such a nebulous way to phrase it, but I feel like the first time I meet someone, I kind of already know if I will become really good friends with them. 
I get that sometimes. But I don't rely on it though. Like I have a friend who actually told me that if she clicks with someone straight away, it's like a red flag. Because <laughs> she thinks that people are just putting forward their best version of themselves, right? And you never know if someone's being fake or not. Yeah, what do you think about what makes a good friendship? I think that a good friendship takes time. That sounds really cliche. But even if you get along straight away, you never know if the friendship's gonna last. I feel like especially making adult friendships and it's kind of effort on both sides. You can't have a one-sided friendship. And I think like even our friendship, the fact that we still talk to each other, even though we live in separate countries and we've only met each other for like two weeks, you know, it's, it's like putting in that effort and maintaining the friendship, I think. That's why I think it takes, it's time. Yeah, totally. I think uh, you have to make time for each other, right? In real life, it's a lot easier because maybe you have a shared interest. So my friends and I will play basketball or tennis together. I think for us, because there are geographic barriers, like that just comes in the form of video calling. Also sending postcards, right? I feel like that's such a unique thing. I feel like I forced that upon you. Maybe initially, but okay, well, I think there's a period of time. I think you probably sent the first postcard, right? Probably. I don't remember though. I think that's something really special because I don't have any other pen pals and it's not a common thing nowadays, right? It's very old school. I'm old school, what can I say? Yeah, you're an interesting person. <laughs> but uh, I do really appreciate the postcard thing. Yeah, I think it's cool that whenever you travel, you think of me and send me something. So I appreciate that. So I'll try to do the same. Like I'm in Seattle at the moment. I actually was thinking about that the other day. Maybe I should go pick Kathy up a postcard. No. But yeah, like you said, uh, friendships take time. I guess like, it doesn't have to be in real life. Like writing a postcard takes time, you know? I can't lie, I think you put more thought into yours than I do. Okay, you know, that's so funny because I was talking about this other day with my friend and I was like, okay, so I think I've gotten this many postcards from Kathy and then I've sent this many. And then the number was like one to two. I think it's because like, you're a very free form in your writing. So you'll pick up a postcard. I don't know if this is actually true, but I'm assuming you can just write off the top of your head. Yeah, I, I kind of do. Whereas for me, I literally write in a Google Doc. <gasps> you plan what you're gonna write? I do. That's so cute. <laughs> but it's because I'm terrible at like writing on the fly. Like, I don't think my thoughts would be very coherent. I disagree though. I just remember when we were on camp this one time and we had to fill in like a feedback form or something. And I probably wrote like one sentence. And I remember like you were diligently writing down your actual thoughts or like how whatever it was could improve. You wrote a whole fat paragraph and I was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> this is uh, like a reflection on our camp? Yeah, no, I just felt like you're the kind of person who just, I don't know, you just put an effort into everything that you did. And I really admired that. No, I think both are valid writing styles. I actually admire your style more because I think it's more candid and it's more honest. It just sounds like you're talking to me through the postcard. Whereas for me, it sounds like I'm giving you a speech, you know? <laughs> it's not bad. I think your postcards, since you put more maybe thought into it, I feel like I get a better picture of what is going on in your life right now or, you know, something like that. Or it transports me to like, I think the one you sent me last, you were like saying how in 10 days you did XYZ amount of socializing. And I was like, wow, because that would not be me. My social battery is like so small. Mm. But I do kind of want to like adopt your writing style where I'm like more freeform, like more off the dome. Do you know what it comes from? I think it extends from, yeah, different personalities. Like I feel like you put in a lot of care and thought 
it reminds me of when I in school when we used to have English class and I hated planning. So when we were ever writing like a timed essay, you're supposed to spend like the first five to ten minutes writing out a plan or like a mind map and then you start writing. I would just start writing because I was like, I don't have time to make a plan. And then it wouldn't be structured. It wouldn't be logical. Nothing would make sense. But I think it's also because I'm the kind of person who I find it hard to get that activation energy to start something. So I just start writing because otherwise, if I spend too much time thinking about it, I won't write anything. No, but that's also a good thing because then you commit yourself early on. Like for me, because I plan a lot, I procrastinate a lot as well. And so maybe I'll write a little bit here and there, but I'll never commit to writing the whole postcard. Which is why, like, if you look at the date on that thing, it was like a month and a half ago. So I started writing it. At some point, I, I guess I. Well, I couldn't find a mailbox, or no, I just didn't make time to find a mailbox. But also, I'm pretty sure like I didn't write the whole thing in one go. I was just like thinking, reflecting, and then like maybe doing a little bit of editing here and there. But ah, it's a curse, I think, in a way as well. I wish I would just get things done with. I had this tab on my Chrome browser for like the longest time about what I should say to you. <laughs> I really don't think you need to put in that much effort, honestly. <laughs> I know, I know. You know what? This time. How about when I get a postcard, I'll freeform it and then we'll see how it turns out. But my deepest fear is like running out of space as well. You know how a postcard is so small? Yeah, no, that's why I just... Like, how do you wrap it up? I don't. I'm really just like, bye, Kathy, you know, or I just be like, hope you're well, or see you soon, even though it won't be soon, you know. I don't know, because I know there's not much space. I think that's also why I don't struggle, because I don't aim to fit everything in. I'll just like pick out highlights so that's usually things that just like pop into my brain and so then I'll write those and then that's usually enough and then if not I'll just think a bit but that's the whole reason why I like postcards because I don't find it too difficult because it's not like I'm writing a letter or you know the emails that I send out they take me a while okay <laughs> yeah and it is spontaneous because I'm on holiday do you know what I mean and I will send it from the country so I don't spend that much time on it because I know that I'm on holiday I have other things to be doing I think to close up, you should say something in a British accent. Oh no. Oh my goodness. The apple was so posh today. <laughs> Absolutely spiffing in it. <laughs> Good golly.